0: Hey, good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. On our second hour of the show, brought to you by Copernicus MD. Pleased to be joined here on the, this morning's show by Don O'Neill of Copernicus MD. Welcome, man. Good morning, C.W. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm pleased to have you here. Um, let's talk a little bit about Copernicus MD as a as a platform. It's doing some cool things in the healthcare space. Uh, In fact, I have had the opportunity to take a look at what you do and and we're integrating it into what we do in Precision Medicine. It addresses a problem that we have faced around what we do. It's a, a diagnostic test that is paid for by insurance in large part when medical necessity is demonstrated, but it can be a spotty approval process. Some of the plans still don't cover that. We also experience the same sort of thing at the medical practice that I used to be a part of in a hyperbaric medicine and wound where those patients would be getting you know bills for you know pretty good size deductibles for example they would have copays that they had to pay at the point of care and obviously that caused some consternation for many patients because we were talking about some big numbers and when there's a measure of uncertainty around what that's going to be I know it impacts us with our our DNA testing, for example, do we do this or not? I don't want to get a big bill. This helps answer that. Talk about how you're able to provide that kind of point of service information about what a patient's out-of-pocket expense is going to be because I know so many people out there as patients obviously have their plans such that their deductibles are very large, which means uh, for a procedure or a test like ours, they may be coming out of pocket for a sizable amount.
1: Yeah, so, you know, great point, CW, and, and there's so many applications. We like to think of ourselves as a data-centric company that are all things revenue to medical. And what I mean by that is physicians, practices, uh, hospitals, facilities. And the solution really does a couple of things. First and foremost, it brings the actual obligation of the patient pay responsibility and the possible financing of that to the front of the transaction. And what's important about that is is you just stated, you know, there's so many times there's a lot of uncertainty as to what is the patient responsible for, right? What's the insurance company going to pay? The patient frustration, which then leads to facility and physician frustration and their staff frustration, is because of the uncertainty and kind of that wait and see. And all of a sudden, you have a $3,000 surprise bill going to a patient that candidly, most patients have the belief that their insurance pays everything and aren't truly familiar with what the benefit structure of their plan is, what their patient pay responsibility as far as co-pays or deductibles are. And what our software does is it brings that to the front. What that means is the first thing we do is we verify eligibility. The second thing we provide the facility or the practice is the ability to um, – See the real, the worst case scenario, that real time deductible for the patient. So, if there is a procedure that needs to be booked, or um, you know any type of, of procedure moving forward, uh, you know that's elective for that patient, then we are able to let that practice and the patient know up front what is the worst case scenario that they're facing for a patient pay responsibility. Now, if the facility decides that they that they are comfortable underwriting. That payment plan, we actually provide a risk model um, that goes much further than just what what they call an industry industry propensity to pay. Uh, We provide a risk model that does include FCRA data that lets the practice or facility understand the type of payment risk that is associated with that patient uh, as it relates to, you know, basically relying or lending that money to the patient, hoping to get paid back. If they don't have the appetite for that risk, then we have in, in our platform, Uh, We have multiple lenders that uh, we can have an appetite for the risk first and foremost, and that we can pair that patient with the lender, get the facility paid their money, allow the patient to consume the health care that they need, and more importantly, uh, allow that facility or practice to realize that revenue from that type of procedure um, that they normally wouldn't. And, you know, and and, and that's the 30,000 foot view There's a lot of things the software does that are all things revenue. But the reality is, is it allows patients and practices and facilities to uh, come together, be transparent for the benefit of the patient, have a better patient experience and assist that patient in consuming the healthcare that they need before it becomes ambulatory or emergent.
0: Now you said FCRA data, what does that mean?
1: The Fair Credit Reporting Act, and what that means is, is that, you know, traditionally what you'll see in a lot of the propensity models is they basically do a historical set lookup. So, they'll go into billing or they'll go into the EHR or the billing software and say, okay, you know, patient Bob Smith has been to the practice 30 times and he's always paid his bill historically. The reality is, it's, you know, it's not based on how large the bill was, just based on did he pay. And there's a, there's a saying in credit, that is, that everyone's a good payer until they stop paying. And so without a risk model of understanding the true credit snapshot of a patient, um, it really is a really horrible risk model for the facility because, candidly, there's things that are called trigger events in everyone's life, right? It could be a divorce. It could be the, the loss of a spouse. It could be retirement or loss of a job. And those things impact a consumer or a patient's ability to pay and you know oftentimes it does impact their ability and so you would want to know that they're in the middle of a trigger event or they're coming off of a trigger event before you extend credit to that person or before you allow them to pay you over time um and it makes it really it's very important for (laughs) excuse me especially the practice who you know every penny counts We, we know with you know renegotiated reimbursement rates from from payers and Everywhere, a doctor is being squeezed for the dollar. Uh, the last thing they need is to have a swelling or you know an overpiling AR that's not being paid because they're making bad decisions at the front desk by allowing people to be on a payment plan. Uh, and so we provide them with a snapshot that gives them a true snapshot of the patient and a true risk model of understanding, one, what this patient looks like from a credit perspective, and two, if they are going to underwrite the risk of payments, how long should the term be, uh, what type of payment frequency should they have, and then also on the platform, we have the ability to allow them to set up automated ACH payments that are in compliance with PCI standards uh, and you know, have the data security where you don't have a staff member making a Xerox copy of a credit card and having to call every month saying, can we run the card? Um, you get the permission, you get everything set up on an automated basis where that ACH and that payment is coming out at the same day at the same time every month.
0: I was talking to... Uh physician from a large practice recently about this solution and and having worked with them in the past i was recommending they get on a call with you and and uh and learn more about the copernicus md solution because as we've talked over time i i I get the impression that there's really not an existing solution being offered to either medical practices or hospitals alike that actually beats this. There's some things out there, from what I understand, uh, as you would expect, for, uh, as, as he said, I, I've already got something for our practice that handles that. What do you see out there in the competitive landscape and why is this different?
1: Well, I mean, there's true competitors, but you kind of hit the nail on the head, we really don't have. It. There, there's two types of solutions that are out there. One is patient or consumer facing things like lending tree type solutions, where you know a patient can go online and take out a personal loan, they get funded. There really isn't a guarantee that the patient, that the practice, or the facility is going to get the funds, um, and it's nothing more than just you know a, a personal loan. The other one is some solutions out there that kind of play on the old. Uh, it's called seasoning paper, where everyone gets zero percent, everyone you know makes payments for three months, and then they try to bundle those. Loans will call them and sell them to lenders. And the problem is, is that there really aren't that many solutions that cover the full spectrum of lending of, in all credit spectrums, meaning a score range from say 500, to 850 or 900. Um, most of the lenders out there that, that practices have on their, on their desktop or their countertop are lenders that really are just looking for prime customers and candidly people who maybe don't really need to borrow the money, but do it because it's a 0%. And sure. those people that really do need the ability to borrow the money uh, because they have different challenges financially and, and credit-wise don't tend to have a really good chance or opportunity to borrow money from those lenders. So what we're able to do is to, to bundle a large volume of lenders that have an appetite for all different credit spectrums that allows the facility to be funded. And that's key, making sure the facility gets the money. Um, if you talk to any practice, I'm sure you've heard some horror stories of times where the insurance company makes a mistake and sends the $30,000 check to the patient. Um, you know, uh, you really want to make sure that that, can, that that patient is consuming the health care and what's intended for the loan. Uh, there are times that, you know, basically the money never gets to the practice, and therefore you have a loan that's out there, a patient's taking a loan, but they're they're still not consuming the, the care that they need so what we're doing is basically allowing the facility and the practice to get paid and then allows the patient to consume that health care but more importantly not just focusing on prime credit customers focusing on the entire credit spectrum and allowing everybody uh, to have that equal opportunity to assist them in in consuming their health care that they need.
0: Something else that he mentioned was, uh, as I was pointing out the the fact that as it relates to what we do in precision medicine, and I've got a patient who's contemplating, do I proceed with this genetic test or not, is I had made the remark that in those situations, it's important that we are able to be very specific for the patient about worst case right? So if if we do this test, this is the, the most you can expect to pay, period. A challenge that he had with that was, as a practice, sometimes their work involves surgery, which we, using that example, Mr. Hall, we need to do surgery. That procedure is going to be X, your obligation will be Y, but that may not be the full extent of what we do, because once we get in there. Oh, geez, we found something there that is going to require either an additional procedure or something else that we didn't get to say something about upfront. Does that variability after the fact cause us problems in some way? Do you see what I'm saying?
1: The reality is, is that what happens in the in the, in the use case that he's using is that when you go to pre-authorize a procedure with a payer, uh, which obviously has its own challenges to begin with. What you're doing is, is you're providing that payer with your diagnostic codes, your CPT codes. They're coming back and saying, yes, this coverage is available under this policy and they're agreeing to cover the procedure. And then they come back with what they believe to be the estimate of what deductible and copay will be for that specific procedure. Now, what he's saying is, and it's, it happens every day, when a surgeon goes into you know to a patient to do surgery and a patient, they get in there and they realize there's more to be done or there's some complications involved and they just basically have to move forward. Mm-hmm. Well what we do and what's more important for us is the reason why we give what's called a line thirty deductible, that is the worst case scenario. So the good news for the patient is is that it can only go down on preauthorization or the time of procedure. But the patient is always faced with their worst case scenario. You never have that sticker shock or, you know, the three most powerful words in the English language were, but you said. And that's a pretty <laughs> tough conversation for anyone, including a physician practice or a hospital, yes. to have with a patient when you told them their responsibility is 1200 and it turns out to be 2400 Yes. In our solution, we always provide that line 30 deductible. Because it's it's so important for a patient to understand what the worst case scenario is and what their responsibility is. You know, CWU and I have talked about it. We've sat in front of hospital administrators and CEOs of hospital systems, and they'll tell horror stories of patients that, you know, they get phone calls every day. You know, I got a $3,500 a bill, you know, medical bill. Why? Patients don't even understand their own explanation of benefits, and so when a you know it's it's so important to have that conversation early. But more importantly, it's so important to give that patient what their expectation should be, uh, and not guess. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we would never go into uh, we would never build a house or buy a home where a builder said, "Hey." I'm going to sell it to you for two hundred thousand dollars, but it might be three hundred thousand. I'll let you know. That's <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah. Um, we never go buy a car and they say, "Well, this this model is fifty five thousand dollars," but when I delivered it, it might be sixty five thousand. Yet here we are in, in the medical vertical where people go into uh, procedures every day, and there's so much uncertainty, and that really is a lot of what the cause of these ARs rising. And the patient pay responsibility is only getting larger. But when you don't have that conversation, uh, I had this conversation with the CEO of a hospital two weeks ago. It's six months before a patient even engages with a bill. You know the, the the hospital waits 30 days, 90 days before they actually submit for reimbursement. And during that period, the patient gets their explanation of benefits. And they go, okay, this is not a bill, no problem. Then the first bill from the hospital comes. They see seventeen hundred dollars. They say, oh, my insurance is going to pay that. And it's really not until they're really at 120 or 150 days where they sit back and say, make a phone call and say, why am I getting this bill for seventeen hundred dollars? When that conversation were had up front, and the expectations were set with that patient. Early on, before the the procedure happened, you have a much better patient experience, and more importantly, you're able to assist that patient in financing that if necessary, but more importantly, being aware of those charges, and that's why we use that line 30 deductible for that exact use case that you just spoke of.
0: Now, one of the other things that this physician mentioned, and as I had said, they're a very large group, as you would expect. They have uh, an EMR in place. Some of those EMRs, including I believe this one, handles a lot, if not all, of their billing. It was Athena in this example. As I was talking about what you're able to do, because in addition to this part of your platform you're describing that gives us the ability in real time to look at what a patient's maximum out-of-pocket exposure will be, is that you are also changing the way that clearinghouse Services are being provided because you've got the technology and the capability as a clearinghouse, and you're not gigging the client has has been the financial model up to this point. Now, when I say yes, but I've got Athena and they're awesome, you can't beat that.
1: <laughs> you know, it depends. It depends on the model, and, and here's the reality: that change is never something that everyone lo- anyone loves to do. What we do, and, and again, all things being revenue, we're we're owned by physicians. Okay, and a little bit later on the show, our chairman, uh, Dr. Alan Shaver, will be on, and we're going to talk a little bit about opioids and some data that we use as far as that epidemic, and some things that we're building technology-wise. But when when you're physician-centric, you're able to know the the, the trials and tribulations, what happened in that office, day in and day out. And there's a there's a million great solutions out there. There's a plenty of great software. The reality is, is what's the differentiator, right? You know, what is, when it comes to EDI clearing submission, here's what it basically comes down to. Your billing software has to convert what they're billing into what they call an ASCX-12 format. The reason for that is, is that the ASCX-12 is what was built in the early 90s, has not been updated since its original build by the federal government in Medicare and Medicaid. So every payer, Medicare and Medicaid, still use that ASCX-12 format, and there has to be the ability to take that bill, convert it into that format, submit it to the payer, whoever that payer would be, and to get an ERA, which is electronic remittance advice. Did I get paid? How much? When's it coming? And if I didn't, why? Right, and then everything else the software does, like analytics and scrubbing, and a knowledge base, and the ability to, in real time, make corrections to any type of fat finger coding errors. Those are the, the the actual benefits and differentiations of software. But the, the ability to get paid remains constant amongst all EDI, and clearinghouses. The difference is, do you batch and do you send them in real time, or do you batch? So when I talk to practices or hospitals, what I make very clear to them is we're not trying to replace your EHR. We're not trying to replace your billing software. What we're able to do is to give you an opportunity to take what is a variable cost, convert it to a much lower fixed cost, and to reallocate those resources that you're spending right now towards human capital, technology, technology. Patient charity, whatever they choose to reallocate it towards. That's what our software gives me the ability to do. And again, you know, I take nothing away from any software provider out there. There's a lot of amazing solutions out there, but really what it comes down to is, is can I, you know, am I able to get what I need with the right analytics, with the right ability to get paid? Does it exceed what I currently have or meet it? But when we're talking about, for example, saving thirty to thirty-five percent over what you're currently spending, when you're in a hospital or a large organization, those are very large real dollars that can be reallocated towards uh, other needs for the facility, or for, as we said, for staffing, or for charitable events, or for emergency for patients and in helping them with the consumption of care. So there's a lot that can be done with that. I never fight that question. Uh, it really just comes down to uh, you know, do you desire to have that that large savings? Uh, And we can can stand toe-to-toe with any software provider out there and explain why we feel we're better, the features of our software that exceed what they currently have, the benefits of utilizing Copernicus MD, and all of those things matter. But at the end of the day, it's about what do you get for what you spend at the end of every month. And that's the conversation that we try to have with with every provider that we meet with.
0: Well, sticking with that present example, we're looking at this practice they've got, as I mentioned in this case, Athena, but it probably substitute any number of them that have some sort of billing capacity as a part of it. And when we think about, especially EMRs in the physician office space, for sure, but even in the hospital too, you're talking to clinicians about them, they hate it, right? And so the notion of trying to change out some of my software yet again, particularly when we're talking about something related to my ehr that i'm using how tough is it i mean what is the process is it for me to pry out the edi portion of that process without disrupting you know and having to go through a big it process i mean it's got to be fairly simple for it to make sense because otherwise the in, the inertia, I, I, I just changed banks away from one of the large behemoths to a more localized bank. And that process was arduous, which was the reason why we waited so long in spite of the fact that we hated the bank we were using, that it was a process that we dreaded. and And so I can imagine that being a case here where, especially if it's a relatively new install in my office that I'm using this application, I'm not sure about the case here, but Talk about that. How hard is it? Based on what I've learned, there isn't a situation yet that you cannot improve upon using those metrics you described—the the thirty to thirty five percent reduction in cost and converting to a fixed cost that you've not been able to be beaten and have that ability to provide that value and that ROI uh, in any circumstance yet.
1: In any change that you make in technology, the biggest fear is, um, you know, my people. Will my, will my people accept the change? Does it, does it gel with my process? Um, and, you know, we call it three P Do I get paid in this instance? That's the biggest fear. The third is the biggest fear of a practice because the billing and the EDI submission is the lifeblood of a practice or a facility. They're submitting for reimbursement. They get their ERAs and their payments through that process. And any type of disruption in that process could mean the death of a practice or a hospital. Mm -hmm. So to to simplify the changeover, what it means is when you switch your EDI solution, you are designating that clearinghouse to have the authority to submit and accept ERAs uh, for reimbursements from the payers and TPAs to include Medicare and Medicaid at the state level. Now. There's three types of enrollments or three types of changeovers. You've got quick enroll, you have auto enroll, and then you have manual enroll. Your blues, most of your large payers will require some type of manual enroll where they expect a form to be executed, signed by the practice, because they're dealing in large dollar volumes. And quite frankly, it's just, it depends on the payer, but most of your blues desire to have that form and then you have what's called quick enroll where the enrollment can be done online where either a digital signature or an IP address is captured and then you have payers that have auto enroll that once you're assigned a payer ID number regardless of what EDI solution you're using they allow you to to remit or submit your reimbursements and to get back to your ERA to that solution quite seamlessly. Um, Some of the payers take anywhere from 30 to 45 days to change over So it does take mapping correctly the time frame uh, to perfectly, you know, to ensure that there's a seamless transition in payment and being able to submit your reimbursements. But candidly, that's not a challenge, right? It's just basically being able to schedule correctly with the right experience and the right expectation of the payers of what the needs will be for the practice. However, the biggest challenge on the practice level becomes with the people, right? People aren't really, you know, don't desire change very often, especially when it comes to technology. So we do have the ability to work with, you know, basically every solution provider out there with a single point API. So there is no solution that we can't work with with a large practice or a facility whereby we can work with the technology. It really just comes down to mapping that technology correctly, mapping the changeover. So it does happen seamlessly. We handle all the training, we handle all the onboarding. um, So you can do it again. It just really comes down to taking that first step to say, this really isn't that scary. If it's mapped correctly and trained correctly, it's seamless and we don't miss a beat. And that's you know really the challenge that we have to to convey that to the practice that you know that we're not taking you know we're not taking quarts of blood here. It's a simple process that just needs to be timed correctly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we see it every day. People are afraid of it, and, and rightfully so. If yeah. if your revenue, if, if literally eighty percent of your cash flow comes from the ability to submit and remit, well, then at the end of the day, um, you know, you really want to make sure that that that's functioning seamlessly. And we work with our practices and and facilities to ensure that.
0: So even in situations where my billing processes don't necessarily, because I've talked to a, a, a couple of healthcare organizations and they're at least in the moment, unaware of what the EDI portion of what they're paying for their billing process is, because sometimes it's a bundled thing, right? I will handle all your billing and and submissions, um, or your coding and submissions. That's been hard for some of them to 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 figure out how that works in that situation where it's a bundle. I'm I, I'm you know you're still able. You're saying in a straightforward way to to chip out the EDI portion. You can still tease it out. Doesn't matter how they are charging you, whether it's a line item or part of a bundle. You can still get to what that cost is and then you're saying that you all handle the transition. What about the mapping side of things? Are you doing that or is my IT guy doing that, my billing manager, who's, who's handling the mapping you spoke of?
1: Any type of technology we do organically. We have our own team of coders, we have our own technology team. So any type of changeover or API connectivity, we do ourselves. So the reality is is we handle that for the practice or for the facility, and the answer is yes. Um, whether it's bundled or however they're consuming their billing software, there is a cost associated with what they're doing for the EDI clearing. And the important thing here at CW is is that our solution is not an all-or-nothing solution. We have the ability to allow practices and to consume the portion of our software that makes sense for them. So if the EDI solution doesn't make sense, then that's fine. We can work and continue to work with the, with the software platform for blending assist them in collections uh, by, by bridging and bringing in their AR back under their rooftop. So we're not, we're not trying to to fit a square peg in a round hole here. We want to make sure that what we provide works for the practice, that it assists them increasing their revenue and collections. Uh, If they desire to utilize the service of lowering the cost of their submissions, we work with them for that. But we never tell a practice, it's, it's all or nothing. It's here's the platform and you have to use this portion of it. Because candidly, everything is not for everybody. But we do know that our entire solution does have a component that will impact greatly any practice or any hospital, whether it be the back-end billing EDI solution or the front-end lending solution. Um, We do know that it matters, and and that's what matters.
0: Right. And when it comes to your services, you, you back up what you're doing with some guarantees. I mean, you actually write into the contract minimum revenue impacts, that are going to be achieved by implementing your platform, right?
1: We do provide guarantees to our practices and facilities where we, uh, we guarantee the increase of 15% in collected revenue. And that's an immediate situation for our practices. One of the things that we do for facilities and for practices, CW, is take a look at their current AR and help them bring that underneath their rooftop and, and helping them understand that the way that they engage, uh, is, probably going to be one of the main reasons why they're not being paid. You and I have talked about this before in that 240 days or under, if you're sending a patient out to collection prior to that, um, you're giving away anywhere from 25 to 30% of your revenue because the reality is they're going to pay anyway. The real collection becomes when it exceeds 240 days. And and some of the examples that we've shared with hospitals are, like we just talked about, 30 to 90 days before they – submit the, for reimbursement with the insurance company. Uh, the patient thinks the insurance is paying because no one's had that conversation. And it's, candidly, it's five or six months before they really even engage with that bill, and it's because no one's had a conversation with them. Uh, the other side of the coin also is, is is being able to focus on those people that have the ability. One of the, the beauties of our software is the ability to have what they call a federal pro- poverty line flag or indigence flag where you know a certain percentage of your base spend, do the minimum required, you know, three invoices, attempt to collect three times that's required by federal law, but the reality is they're on fixed income, $900 a month of social security, whatever it may be. Uh, That's a charity case. That's indigence. And and being able to recognize that and not commit and spend resources to try to collect that money um, from people that don't have the ability is really the strength of the software as well. So we do guarantee an increase of 15% of collected revenue and then uh, we provide the guarantee of anywhere from thirty to thirty-five percent savings on the back end from their current solution, their billing EDI, their, their EDI solution provider, um, and we put it in. We put it in writing. We provide it in the contract. And so, for us, the importance is it's the importance of being able to provide those guarantees to the practice.
0: And as as it relates to the type of practice or facility where this is. Of use, it's anybody that is submitting claims for reimbursement to any sort of payer, right? It's not a large practice only; it's the little guy as well. Probably in particular, the little guy, um, hospitals, much like the uh, rural hospital, the the critical access hospital we were visiting with the CEO of recently. Uh, any any organization that's submitting claims is a is a client who gets the the guaranteed ROI that you just spoke of, right? clearly there's some application for practices large and small with this application. Even if you have something in place already that seems to be covering all the bases, uh, practices that we've been visiting with along the way here, clearly already have something in place and and dread the notion of changing it out. But based on everything that I have learned, and as you've heard here uh, through Don's answering some of those very valid questions from the physician I spoke with recently, clearly there's value And jumping on a call with uh, Don O'Neill, one of his team, to learn more about how this platform or facets of it can be implemented into your practice to the benefit of top and bottom lines. Don, I really appreciate you being part of the show again today. Looks like next time we'll have a chance to sit down with Dr. Ellen Shaver and learn more about some of the the data component, the analytics and decision-making that you can begin to take advantage of by implementing this software as well.
1: Absolutely. Look forward to it, CW, and appreciate you taking the time today.
0: Thanks, man. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. For more information, go by copernicusmd.com. You can learn a little bit more about the company. If you've not done so already, subscribe to the Top Docs Radio Show podcast That way, each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to check out when it's convenient for you. We hope you turn around and share this information. Put it out on LinkedIn, put it out on Facebook, the social media platforms that you utilize, particularly for your business. But uh, you may just be helping somebody that means something to you by sharing this useful information. So everybody that does that for us and helps us get the word out, we want to say thanks so much. Don, I appreciate you being here today and everybody out there. We'll see you next time.